Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to the Colin Carter Podcast, live in studio here in Salt Lake City, Utah. As always, bringing you the best up-to-date information on technology and parenting that we can to help you raise your kids in this crazy, crazy world. Uh, so excited. Thank you so much for everyone tuning in. I, this has been so much fun. Um, other than just eating everything in sight, coming down to my studio and recording stuff and have got some awesome feedback. So thank you so much. Uh, the topic today is going to be super rad. We got kind of two topics we're going to talk about and I have an amazing guest who drove all the way down from Caseville. Jeez, yes. to come down here <laughs> to the studio, made the trek. Um, but before I, uh, introduce our, uh, the guest I have today and the topic I want to talk about. So last week or maybe this week before that on my Instagram, I was talking about, shame parenting kind of um and overreacting when your kids when you find out because either you found out or they tell you that they oopsies made a mistake because they're kids and they will um based on the reactions that you give your kids uh is going to determine kind of how your kids go from there are they if you overreact they're usually just saying okay i gotta hide this better or never tell you ever anything again or if you react with love uh, maybe that's going to change things and open up some more trust so they can come back to you when they're struggling. Uh, and I got so many messages from actual kids. I get messages from them all the time. And I wanted to read one and then uh, bring my guests here. Uh, and so a girl sent me a message. She said, you know what? I've made lots of mistakes and I, I can't tell my parents anything because I notice they freak out about everything. And I know if I tell them my mistakes, they're just going to freak out. They're going to rip my phone away or they're going to tell me I can't be, you know, talk to my friends or they're going to take my car keys. And so I just, I just sit here feeling bad because I make mistakes. I don't ever want to tell them. Uh, and then this girl named Anne, I won't say her full name, but Anne sent me this message and she said this. So this girl's a senior in high school. She said, you know what? That's exactly how I feel with my parents. I know they love me, but if they even knew a small portion of the mistakes I've made, they would freak out, yell, punish <laughs> Take, this, like, this sounds like my daughter probably. Take away my phone, take away my keys, my door handle, take the door off the hinge, everything. I want to have an amazing relationship with my parents. I want them to be a good part of my life. I just wish they would respond in a way that doesn't make me feel even worse about something I already know is wrong. <laughs> had my relationship with my parents been supportive and less punishment oriented, I would have had way, like 19 uh, wise, way happier, healthier, safer time in high school. I've always been jealous of my friends who would tell me, what do you mean? I, uh, what do you mean? Did I tell my mom? Of course I did. I tell her everything. She's my best friend, <laughs> right? Uh, so anyway, so joining me today is Brooke Romney. Now, Brooke, I met like a year and a half ago uh, when I spoke up in, uh, in Kaysville, which is north of Salt Lake, which is in Utah, which is in the U.S., which is in North America, for those who forgot. Uh, and uh, and she, actually, I, I got a... She wrote, was it maybe like a year and a half ago, two years ago, wrote this amazing op-ed in Washington Post in the WAPO uh, about teenagers and cell phones. And I think it was called something like uh, why students need a detox, yes. a cell phone detox. Yes. And I, as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh my gosh, got to talk to this lady. Because, you know, confirmation bias, right? That's of what we course. do now. Like we have to find people that believe the way <laughs> the we same. believe. Right. And then we make them our friends. There you go. And then we have fires and we talk about like how all of our beliefs. Like, you don't wear masks? Like, so do I. <laughs> we can't wear them. It's freedom, right? Join my Facebook group. Anyways, so Brooke Romney wrote for – she's a, a writer, a speaker, an educator. If you're uh, on social media, you know who she is. She writes amazing stuff. She does this awesome teen talk on Tuesdays, I think it is. Yes. Which is so good. Uh, so anyways, welcome, uh, Brooke, to the – Colin Carter Podcast. Thank you so much for coming. Well, thank you, Colin. I reached across the table to shake hands, but then I realized we can't really do that. Uh, so, Brooke, um, 
we were talking before we came on about these messages I was getting from kids and parenting and parenting at a place of fear. Um, I have four kids. You have four. Four. Yep. Now you have three boys and four boys. Four boys. All boys. So you're a boy mom. I am a boy mom. And I'm a girl dad. Yep. So we, we have a lot to talk about here. But we were talking a little bit about like, you know, your oldest is 17 and then you've got teenagers below him. And man, has like things changed over the parenting in the last five, six years? It's so crazy. And I actually feel, I feel for anyone who has teenagers 17 and older because we had to deal with cell phones before there was any control. There were no apps to help that. There was no screen time. And people didn't really have any research or any information to say, maybe we should do things differently. And so- um, I got to learn by doing, and that's not always fun. Jump in the fire. But you learn a lot through that process, so. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's parents, man. Like, we just want our kids to be perfect. We want them to never mess up. And it's the biggest fear when they mess up. We failed, and it's, oh, my gosh, I suck. Like, what am I going to put on Facebook? I can't <laughs> share this, right? But we need to have a conversation. We got to get real with parents right now. Yes. And what I would say is plan on your kids messing up and prepare yourself emotionally in whatever way you need to, Mm -hmm. to know that even if you have done everything right, which you haven't, but even if you had, your children have their own personalities, their likes, their dislikes, um, maybe even mental health issues that will help decide who they become, even if you did everything right. And so if we take every decision our kids make personally it will lead to a very unhappy, unfulfilling parenting life. And so, mm. my, yeah, my best advice is just prepare for it. And you might be pleasantly surprised. Not every kid makes a million mistakes, but there's a good chance if you have more than one that at least one of them will be a little bit difficult. And we need to get comfortable with that yeah. and realize it's their path. Um, and we're just there to kind of help lead and guide and love them through it. Yeah. You were talking before about your amazing teenagers and how different they come out, right? So... Uh, I always was a fan of the whole nurture nature thing, thinking that, oh my gosh, kids are just, they everything they become is based on how they're raised and based on their family and the people they hang out with. And then I had kids and I was like, nope, nope. <laughs> no, 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 no. These kids came with 90% of their personality. Yeah. Like before, as they were born. Yeah. Right. And then we hopefully can just like get them a little bit better or not screw them up too much. Yeah. Um, so talk about your experience with your boys, with your kids. I mean, uh, parenting and kids and like, you know, how the difference you found. So, you know, uh, teenager number one grew up in the days where like none of us knew what these, what this, what? Right. Snapchat? Like what? Are, yeah. yeah. Funny filters. Let's have some, you know. Well, and I felt games, like I that. was like pretty, I was pretty invested because I already saw that there was going to be some problems with allowing untethered access to cell phones. And so we were yeah. slow. So he actually had a, had a, had a flip phone. And oh, felt wow. very uncool and, yeah. you know, all those things. Um, what did you notice, though? You said you noticed that this was going to be an issue. Like, do you remember what those original, like, early on red flags were? Uh, I just noticed, like, society in general. Even yeah. from the time I got a, a, flip, a cell phone, you know, especially a smartphone, yeah. I noticed how uh, much less engaged I was with mm. my last child. I had a cell phone with my last child but didn't have them with my older kids. Yeah. Um, and I just saw that there were a lot of things that were going to make life difficult, less engaging, pull people away from each other, lose connection, um, look for validation in places that wouldn't give it freely. Yeah. And so I knew that I didn't want that. And then obviously I was concerned about pornography, you know, yeah. because we did have the internet. So there yeah. were things that, you know, we'd already thought about and talked about. And so the idea of any 12 year old, 13 year old boy or girl having the internet in their pocket didn't work for me. 
Yeah. And so I knew there were some things that we needed to figure out, but I wasn't quite sure how to figure those out. But the, it's been so interesting because I, I have three teenagers yeah. and they are all completely different. I had them within three and a half years of each other. Our life didn't change much in those three and a half years. You so didn't they were change raised, your parenting no, with one versus like, the other. Yeah. They were pretty similar. You know, we had the same experience. We lived in the same houses and um, one of them has to touch the stove to learn which makes it a very difficult and hard learning process for him and for us. Mm-hmm. The other believes everything we say and tries to obey. Um, and another is just kind of enjoying life and mostly obeys. And And it's not because I raised any of them differently. It's who they are. And so being able to prepare for that, I wish I would have known yeah. that it's not everything that I do and that my job as a parent is to love them through all of it. I can't yeah. control them through all of it. And when I do, um, the outcome is mine, not theirs. And those are not the types of kids I want to raise. So, yeah. Um, parents stress out about this so much. Why do you think the parents, and I think it's always been an issue we have, but why do you think today it seems like it's just overboard with this whole perfection parenting um, so worried about what other people think about your mm. kids, almost so much, almost more so that so I have kids something at the time that they literally feel like their parents care more what their friends think about their own kids mm. than what their parents think about than what their own. What am I trying to say? They're, they think my mom's, how do they say my mom's, my mom cares more about what her friends think about me than what she thinks about me. So when you have someone that doesn't play by the rules, you have to get over that. Otherwise, you would be sad and defeated all the time. And mm-hmm. and please know that I went through a long period of that um, where your ideal is to raise a child that looks someone in the eye and shakes hands and yeah. is respectful of people and things and where they do their homework on time. And when you have young kids, it's hard to imagine that any of those darling, sweet, fun, full of potential kids will ever do anything different. But as you move into the teenage years, you have to start being comfortable with the fact that they might not be the people you planned on them being and that doesn't make it a problem. Yeah. And so as I stopped parenting out of fear over what my parents thought or my in-laws thought or neighbors thought or teachers yeah. thought, sometimes I do things that don't make any sense to anyone but me and my husband and my son. What do you mean by that? Um, we've let things go mm-hmm. that I thought I would never let that go. But in order to preserve a relationship and not in a really, um, in a way that's just entitling, mm-hmm. but in understanding how important that relationship is. I thought when we had, if I thought if my child ever came to me with a problem that was like this, I would freak out. I would ground them. I would, this is just not okay in my home. And sometimes you have to say, you know what? This is happening. This is happening. I don't love it, but I love them. And we're going to work through it together. And so I would rather be their partner in figuring things out than having them hide yeah. everything they're doing. Cause sometimes, you know, the other thing is, is sometimes they don't believe or think the same way we do. And that's hard. No way. It's so, it's so crazy. Yeah. It's so hard. And so what is important to us? Maybe, maybe education is extremely important to you and maybe it's not to them. Maybe it will be later because you have a home that values education, but maybe at 15, they just don't get it. You know, yeah. maybe it's not their thing. And so working through that instead of, you know, saying like, I can't believe I have a kid who, you know, fill in the blank. <laughs> um, 
it goes a long way. And make sure to say that in front of them. That right. they love that. They love it. Yeah. <laughs> but um, you know, we've we've had some hard times and we've gone through some difficult things. And I have to say that how I feel about my parenting is not look how great they are, but it's look at my relationship through all of this. Yeah. Like we still love each other. We still, you know, come to each other with things. We still have a lot of fun together. It hasn't clouded every experience we have. Yeah. Do we still get frustrated? Of course. Are there still rules? Yes. Are there consequences? Absolutely. So you're not an advocate of just free range parenting. Look, they're going to, because I love, I love the thought process of, you know what? Kids are kids and this is the way it is. And if they're going to do, you know, I'm just like, yes, love, but like, come on. Well, there are some boundaries, right? Well, and honestly, there have to be a lot of boundaries, but what you have to do is go through and say, What's the purpose of this boundary? Is yeah. this so that do you have to do your hair every day because I want my friends and I want the teachers to think that I'm a good parent who cares and is loving? Mm. Or do you say, you know what? Hair is a small thing. Like do your hair however you want. And sure. I truly, I remember getting into an argument with a friend when we had elementary school kids about why I would always make my kids do their hair. And who... I don't care. That's so small now. It's just so small. So really understanding like why you have certain rules and then being able to logically explain them and why they're important in your home and then what the consequences are for breaking the things that are important. But everything can't be a 10. Yeah. Like you have to have. And then when something is really important and serious, when they come to you with a big mistake, they have to know that you're on their side and not like I'm going to fight for you against that teacher. That's not I'm on your side. I'm on your side, meaning I want you to become the person you're supposed to be. So whatever consequence is needed, I will support you through that. I will not figure it out, but I will support you and love you through it. Because you made a mistake, my love for you hasn't changed. I'm not embarrassed that you're my child. You know, whatever it is, but really helping them know that they can't do anything that will change your love. Doesn't mean they won't have mistakes or punishments or any of those things, but but that that relationship's really solid. I think, uh, and, and I'm going to go full disclosure, and I've, I've shared a little bit about my own parents, right? Mm-hmm. I, maybe I haven't. Maybe in person I have, but I, I haven't talked to my own dad in a long time, many years. And my mom, not I keep her at a very safe distance, right? Okay. Uh, and a lot of that was just because of this. Yeah. Um, I realized that I don't have time to have relationship with people who make me feel like there's contingencies. Yeah. That it's based on, you know, me being a certain way or acting a certain way. You know what I mean? Um, and I think, I think I've, I wish, you know, if I could go back to myself, like when I was talking to my dad and the way he would get mad about everything if I ever made. And I was a good kid. Like I was afraid right. of my dad. Like he parented out of anger. Yeah. And I knew I couldn't mess up because then, you know, either a big spank or, or a scream or something. Right. Uh, I wish I could go back and be like, you know what, dad, instead of just yelling about this, like if you would just sit down and say, you know what, I made the same mistakes you did. Yeah. I did this too when I was your age and it's going to be okay. Like that would have changed everything. I'd have a relationship with my dad. Yeah. And how worth that would that have been? And as as parents are listening, thinking about, you know, like your future relationships with your kids and how important those are going to be and parenting, not out of fear, Mm -hmm. but out of how can I build a relationship? And I think when that's our focus, it doesn't mean like relationships have boundaries and relationships give consequences, yep. but they also are full of love. The ones that you want to come back to. Um, exactly. One of the things that I think about when it comes to parenting teens is, would you love to have a relationship with someone who 
only told you the bad things about you or how <laughs> bothersome you were yeah. or how disappointed they were in whatever it was. And I think sometimes people think, you know, my kid doesn't want to talk to me. And so go back, reflect on what those conversations have been. Would you want to talk to you? Would you want to open up to you? Would you want a relationship with yourself? Um, I'm not interested in having a relationship with someone who constantly tells me like, you know, that was a good day, but you were a little bit annoying during this part of the day. Or, And, and it's not that we can't tell our kids those things because that's why they have parents, but making sure that there's a large ratio of happy, good bonding moments to the, yeah, you know, those grades aren't acceptable. You know, what can we do to, how can, how can I help you have more time? engage in studies instead of, I can't believe I never thought I'd have a kid who got all C's. This is ridiculous. You know, there's, there's other ways to do it. So really making sure that you're the type of person that you would want to have a relationship with and just reflecting on your conversations, your experiences, and then making small changes. Even if you have been that parent for lots of years, it is never too late. And kids are incredibly forgiving and they want relationships with their parents so bad. They will take those breadcrumbs if you're willing to give them. What, what, what is your advice for the parent who is feeling horrible right now listening to that, feeling like, oh, I did everything wrong. I did, my kids don't even want to talk to me because they overreacted. And in a society where so much focus is on perfectionism and kids feeling the stress of I have to score all the goals, I got to ace all the tests because that's when I get recognized by my parents. I've shared this before uh, kids have told me they feel only they only feel loved by their parents if they've got the blue ribbon or made the you know scoring the winning touchdown because the mom par- posted on Instagram mm-hmm. you know and that's one thing I've noticed is like that's something that is human nature we want to show off our kids and things like that but it then creates a what you're saying this horrible parenting technique which is you know either you are now an extension of me yeah and if you screw up or if you're making mistakes that makes me look like I suck yeah and I can't share that with my friends right. right? right. So what do you say to the parents out there that have feel like they've done this the wrong way? Like how, what are okay. some of these, you said it's easy. So what are some of these little shifts they can do? Okay. So the first thing that I would do is, um, I would apologize if you would like to change and you really genuinely want to creating a home where mistakes are okay by parents is so important. And so if you are a parent who says, you know what, I was listening to this podcast and I realized that I haven't been someone that you can open up to. And I want to change that. So I'm going to start working on it. And I'm not going to be great at it because this is what I've been doing for a lot of years. But I want you to know that I want to do better. So will you check me if you feel like I've only been critical during the day? I don't want to do that anymore. I want to grow something with you. And so it goes so far when we can tell our children, I want a relationship with you and just do it. Say it. It's going to feel a little bit awkward but you can say it, you can apologize for who you've been and you can tell them who you want to be and they will appreciate it and be willing. If you were 15 and your dad would have come to you and said, I haven't done it right, Colin. I know this is a habit. It's going to be hard for me to break, but I want to do better. Like what could have happened? It would have changed everything. It would have changed everything. And so it's never too late. And the other thing, um, I have one son who loves, just naturally wants to be great all the time. Yeah. And he's a little bit of a perfectionist. He has some non-perfectionist tendencies too, but he he really wants to be great and and so it's interesting because you may have a kid who's completely off the deep end, but that but that relationship's there because they've made so many mistakes, they know they can make mistakes and still be loved. 
It is also dangerous to have a child who doesn't think they can make mistakes. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I did with this son is um, he made a very small mistake and I could tell he was super embarrassed by it. And we just had a conversation and I said, you know, I don't need you to be perfect and I don't expect you to be perfect. And I don't even want you to be perfect Wow! because you don't learn anything from never making a mistake. So we had that. And I said, and when you make a mistake, I want you to come to me and talk about it. Let's talk about it. Let's see what you could have done differently or what you wish you would have done because that's a learning experience. And I think sometimes when our kids think, oh, you know, I can never make, what if I didn't make the team, you know, and even before a tryout saying, I hope you make it because I know you want to make the team. If you don't, there are a million other things that you're great at and you'll find a new path. Like it's not, I think sometimes we put so much emphasis on this one moment with the, with the child, whether it's a team or being the star of the school play. Um, as soon as you get comfortable with life, not being perfect. And if you can do that as a teen, like, you know, that's fantastic. I think you have a lot easier path. What a fun way to get your kids to open up to by just grabbing them, getting them in the car, go do a drink run, and then just talk about a story. My, my, uh, who just turned 14 this last week, my oldest, uh, she was just asking me the other day, like, was, what are some of these, what are some embarrassing stories of like you and mom when you first started dating? Yeah. Right. And yeah. it was so fun. Like I sat there, we just drove around and talked about it. And I, and I had this feeling this whole time that she wanted to know that I was human. She wanted to know that like, even dad can get embarrassed. The guy who speaks on stage, totally. who never, who doesn't get embarrassed doing anything, even yeah. he can get embarrassed. Uh, and I, and I felt like deep down she wanted to be able to experience and know for herself, like, it's okay to be embarrassed. Like maybe yes. she just had a birthday party. Maybe she did something dumb and she's just feeling weird about it. Yeah. Uh, and if I would have just shut her off, like, and you know, that's, I think the more vulnerable we can get, I think kids today are so freaking awesome. Yeah. And, and this, this being raised by parents who aren't vulnerable doesn't work for them. There's, they, they know when people are real, they know, they yes. know their BS star is, is like skyrocket off the charts. Absolutely. And they know when you're BSing them. Yeah. And so if they feel like they can't get truth from you mm-hmm. and truth in, in how you live your life and that you made mistakes mm-hmm. and that you're not perfect, it, they, they know that something's wrong and you're not telling them. They know that you're struggling with, you know, work or anything. Yeah. Uh, they're going to go find people who are real. Yeah. And they're going to surround themselves, which can be a good thing. It can be a bad thing. Right. Right. But why not both? Exactly. Why not have parents that you can do that with and friends and we talked a little bit about really being careful as a parent on how you respond when they tell you about bad things that have happened. Yeah. But not to them, to other people. So yeah, tell me like as so, an example. Like, yeah. As an example, their radar is so tuned in to who you are and how you feel and how you might feel about them. And so a lot of times teenagers will give you a hypothetical situation that happened with their friend And what they're gauging is how passionate are you about this? And if I made the same mistake, what would you do? And so my suggestion is if if your child comes to you and says, you know, mom, so-and-so cheated. He got caught for cheating at school. And you have, at this point, you have a really awesome opportunity to show them who you would be if they got caught for cheating or if they got caught Mm. for doing something they're not supposed to do. Um, And so instead of saying, Oh my word. I cannot believe that Johnny would cheat. I thought he knew better. Hasn't That's he been to church? That's a Johansson thing like, to do. I can, oh, I bet his mom is just <laughs> dying right now. That is, you know, that is horrible. Meanwhile, you're, that kid's taking notes like, uh-huh. okay, so this is how she's reacting. And right? this is how she would react yeah. if I did something that wasn't exactly in line with what they hoped. 
So instead, what I've tried to do is use compassion in all situations. And so when they say, mom, you know, Johnny got caught cheating. Like he's super smart. He's in AP classes. I can't believe that he would cheat. Instead of, you know, jumping on that bandwagon, I would say something like, wow, that is so sad. He must be feeling so much pressure to get good grades. Like, do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel like we put so much pressure that you would need to cheat in order to make something work out so it looked good on paper? Um, And so instead of like closing a relationship, it's an opportunity to open a relationship and talk about, you know, if you made a mistake or, yeah, that's really sad. I hope you would come to me if you felt like you needed to cheat for something because I would so much rather get you a tutor or jump down in the classes or whatever, whatever it is. So, and, and even I just had this thought, but what if you even took it a step higher and told the stories or story of when you cheated in school because yes. you did and I did at least right. once right? and told the story. I told my daughter, so uh, she, we weren't talking about cheating on tests. It wasn't like, yeah. I just one day told her, uh, she's like, that was one of your most embarrassing moments in high school. This was a different day. And I told her, I, I was I was playing on varsity baseball and we had a big tournament coming up and I had an anatomy, like mm-hmm. big test that I didn't really study for. And the teacher let me come during lunch and go in this little side room. Mm-hmm. And I remember being like, I didn't have time to study for this. Like we were playing baseball every night. Like we got the chance, like the playoffs coming up. I can't believe she made me take this stupid <laughs> test. And I, and I, like I said, I tried to be a really good kid growing up <laughs> through high school. Um, and I had, it, I had the note cards in my pocket. Yeah. And we had to memorize this like 19 steps from like totally. the light coming through the eye, hitting every nerve. <laughs> and I had memorized it like I do as a song. Like it's yeah. like, you know, like, you know, take the first letter and turn to a song. And I forgot like just the one part. Yeah. And I'm like, if I can just look at that card, like I'll do the whole thing and I'll ace it. Yeah. And so I pulled out the card. Yeah. Like, and I'm like, there's no issue. You can see I'm like in this back lab room. I'm like, there's no way. And I pull out the card and look at it. Boom. Miss Abbott walks right in. Oh. And she goes, excuse me, mister. What's that? My heart sank. Oh yeah. Because I did want to mess up. And, yeah. and she failed the test. She failed me on, of course. But I told my daughter that. I yeah. still got to be in the class afterwards. And I told that because I, that's what it was. She was complaining about yeah. like grades with like COVID and stuff. And right. she was, she was really worried to tell me she was getting a C in math. I'm like, babe, you know what? This happened, this happened. I thought, I'd, you know what? Yeah. I think that will at least, I'm hoping that's not going to make her say, hey, cheating's fine. Like dad still has a job. And like, <laughs> well, not right now at least. Right? He turned out okay, right? Well, and that's the thing. I think but sometimes as parents, we're so up. afraid that our kids will think it's okay. And what we have to realize is they think a lot of things are okay because it's what their peers do. Yeah. And it's what they see and it's what people get away with. And a lot of times people who aren't doing good things have good lives and it doesn't make sense to them. And so as parents, if we can kind of bring a reality check and help them understand why this happened or why this doesn't happen or why this decision might lead somewhere, their their peers and Google, they can't give them, you know, that yeah. direction. So. Yeah. I just have one more thought then we're going to, we're going to switch subjects here. Um, one thing, what are, what are your thoughts? Parents are very, very vocal, if not in person and in car rides, but on social media. And kids are very, very aware of what their parents do and say mm-hmm. and how they talk about other people. Um, what are your, what are your, what's your advice to parents on just being careful what they talk about when they're talking about other people or friends or neighbors, kids or, you know, kids in their school and their class uh, around them, right? I, yeah. you know, two moms sitting in the car talking about life with their kids in the back and they, you know, they're talking about neighbor kids and stuff. What are your, what are your thoughts on this? Well, things change when you have a kid that sometimes becomes that kid that people are talking about. Oh yeah. And so if I could give any advice, I would just tell parents that there's a good chance 
if you're talking about someone else's kid, someone else is talking about yours. Yeah. And so to just um, stop because it doesn't do anyone any favors. Um, I wrote an article about perf- perfect parenting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually titled, um, repeat after me, my child is not perfect and neither is yours. And one of the things that I've realized is it's really not up to us. We have no clue what's going on, what a child is struggling with. Um, someone might be making really bad decisions and you have no idea why. And someone might be a bully and you have no idea why. And so the more often you can teach your kids to talk with compassion and kindness about other people, I have a really, um, my grandma passed away a couple years ago and at her funeral, my uncle said, he came home from school with some really juicy gossip that Mm. he was sure his mom would want to know about. And so he told her and her response was, um, Mike, people in glass houses don't throw stones. And he thought, wait, no, this is like big news. Like I'm going to try this again. And so he tried again. And all she said was people in glass houses don't throw stones. And so I am by far not perfect about with this. And there are times when it's easy to get riled up in something or to talk about somebody else's kids or, you know, whatever's going on or feel especially wronged by someone, or I can't believe they're doing that. But, um, there's a good chance at some point your kid is the one being talked about. And so I think the more often we can pull away from talking about people in general. And one of the things that I try to do more often is to talk about ideas and things that are actually interesting Um, things that open your mind instead of close your mind. And so like, that's why I started Teen Talk Tuesday. We needed something to talk about that wasn't about people, that wasn't about our neighbors, that wasn't about um, what's going on with so-and-so at school. Um, And so anytime you have the chance to raise people in the eyes of your kids, and like I said, please don't think that I'm perfect at this because I'm sure at least a couple times a day, I do what I wish I wouldn't have done. But I think when we know better, we can do better. And when we have a new focus and a new desire, I think it will make like our neighborhoods and our homes significantly better places to live for everyone. I agree. All right. I want to talk about this op-ed you wrote for WAPO because this is something we've been talking about and I talk about all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I go to schools, I th- hundreds of schools in the last couple of years. And uh, one of the most heartbreaking things is walking into school, especially middle schools, walking into a busy middle school during lunch and tables are quiet. Kids are on phones during the class hallways. And every teacher tells me when I ask them, I say, what's your biggest struggle? Ah, these gosh dang phones, right? You, you published this article about why kids need a phone. They need a detox. Now, mm-hmm. we're, now this is not talking about when we, when we bring this up, when we talk about phone policies in schools, a lot of parents, there's a lot of feelings on both sides. Yeah. Um, We're not talking about, this is like the gun issue, right? No one's talking about taking all the guns away. Right. We're talking about regulation, smart rules, policies. Mm -hmm. We're not talking, you know, so the people are like, when you talk about something, my kids need a phone. It's like, I know, and that's okay. I'm not saying take the phones away. Um, I'm just saying, what about in school? Right. Yeah. Research. Dr. Jean Twenge, she wrote uh, Twenge, whatever her name is, mm-hmm. studied a bunch of teenagers and uh, the screen time effect on just mental health and kids that were three to five hours a day. It was like a 30 percent increase in anxiety and depression and suicidal thoughts. And when they got to five or more hours a day, it jumped to 71 percent. That's in her book, iGen. And you can look at the research there. Yeah. Um, kids during school, they have this like seven hours. Yeah. Right. Which should be focused on school. 
and socializing and talking and conflict resolution and face to face and all those things we love. Like my kids are watching Save by the Bell old school. Right? Yes, and my and my daughter, she's like, oh my gosh, look at these schools! Like everyone <laughs> is just talking to each other, and it's totally. amazing. She's like, I wish. She literally told me today. She's like, I wish my school was like this. Everyone's yeah. just on their phones. And so I want to get your thoughts because you've written about this, you publish stuff about this, you're writing, mm-hmm. and you've written a whole packets about like you know how can parents who are like don't like this f- phones at school issue. Yeah. So let's talk about this. Okay. Um. One of the things that I want to talk about is this isn't a fear-based philosophy. This isn't, I'm so worried that my child is going to see pornography or someone's going to airdrop something they don't want to see. I get that. And that is scary, right? Yes. Do seventh grade boys go into the bathroom and look at porn? They do. Yes. Um, have kids had genitals airdrop to them in a classroom? They have. Yes. Um, all of those things actually do happen. But what I'm more concerned about is what you talked about is the lack of socialization, the focus they don't have on their education during the time and our ability to protect people that are most vulnerable in our communities by taking cell phones out of the schools. And so talking a few things. Um, so this started when, when my son went to seventh grade, this was also a time where administrators and teachers had no idea what to do either. Sure. So it was it was kind of a mess, which is why I tried to help navigate that for a little while. And one of the things that I was really bothered by was one of the science teachers at the middle school said, well, if a child wants to get a good grade in my class, they'll put their phone away because we didn't have a, a school policy, yeah. right? If a child wants to get a good grade in my class, he will put his phone away. If he doesn't, like, I'm sorry, these are just choices and consequences. And I just thought, okay, a 13-year-old boy can either learn about science or play Fortnite. Hmm. Like, he's not capable of making that choice. As yeah. adults, we're often not capable of making that choice. You see people at plays and restaurants yeah. on their phones. That's not appropriate behavior. But they do it anyway because the pull is so strong. And so my article was talking about how we need to give these kids a little time to grow up and breathe during middle school yes, and figure it out until their brains are ready to make a better decision, which I think, yeah, maybe, maybe regulating them in high school isn't the right thing, but definitely in middle school, they're not ready for so many options. And so what you find is the kids whose parents care, who either don't let them have a phone or give them a flip phone or put um, regulations on their phone during school time, those kids are learning. And the kids whose parents aren't are playing their phone (laughs) and education should be accessible to every child in the same way. And by choosing not to regulate phones, we are giving one group of kids who has parents who care enough to make different decisions, Mm. the opportunity to learn while the other kids are falling behind. That's huge. I never thought about that way. And I just don't think that that's why our education system was created or the outcome of our education system. And so I feel really strongly that kids in middle school are not capable of making those decisions. Well, a few, there's a few that are, you know, well above the curve in maturity, but most kids just aren't ready to make those decisions. I also feel really strongly that kids should be looking at each other in the eye, having conversations, figuring out what to talk about. Um, I did white ribbon week at our junior high when we were still in school in (laughs) January. And the theme, what is white ribbon week? So that is, um, So it's actually about cyber safety, but we took it instead and we used your theme. We actually did live in real life 
was cool. the theme. And so each day we gave them opportunities to be off their phone during lunch. And they were thrilled to be a part of so many of these activities. And I just think they're missing out on so much. I also know that education is hampered when kids are distracted. I mean, you've, you've read all the studies, yes. right? Even if the phone is in your pocket and it buzzes, it ruins your concentration. It pulls you out of being present and makes you think of something else. And I am worried about the education of the kids who are going to school right now or in the last three years and their ability to concentrate for yeah. a longer period of time or to, to learn something without being entertained in order to learn it. There's also um, just the idea of people being cyber bullied during school and what that does to your mind when you're worried about who's talking about you or yeah. who's making plans without you. And if there were no phones during the school day, if you want to, you can go home and get on and check and be a part of that. Um, but it doesn't have to happen during school. You don't have to worry during English. If someone's spreading the rumor about that picture that you took on Instagram last weekend, cause no one's talking about it right yeah. now cause no one's on their phone. And so I think by taking phones out of middle schools, we give our kids the absolute best chance to be able to learn the way they should be entitled to learn. Is this something that should be the school's decision or the parents decision? Meaning uh, if, if they want to make the policy, should it come from top down or from bottom up? I think the only way for a policy to actually work is coming from top down. Yeah. Um, I think parents can absolutely influence that policy to make it happen. But what I've noticed is um, unless it's a policy from administrators, yeah. then there's just too much leeway. So for instance, our school, there's teachers that don't allow phones. So the kids aren't on phones. And then there's teachers who do allow phones. They either, they either want to be fun or cool or their class isn't quite as important or they, you know, want to use technology. And that's another problem that's happening is um, teachers do use a lot of technology. And so phones make it easier. And here's my argument against that. Education should be equal. Amen. So if your child doesn't have a cell phone, their education shouldn't be hampered by the fact that you can't or yeah. won't buy a $400 device for them my, to take My to daughter's going to be in ninth grade next year. She has no phone. Mm -hmm. And she goes to class. Now, I'm not saying that we're not privileged. Like, we're so blessed. But if they're like, oh, I pull out your phone and we're going to look this up. And she, what, what are we supposed to do? Yeah. I have to have conversations with her teachers on before school starts. Right. Be like, here's my, my daughter. Avery's going to take your class. And just so you know, this is the policy in our house is we don't do phones. Yeah. Here's glow kids. Here's research. Yeah. So you don't think I'm an idiot. Yeah. Most of the time, the teacher's are like, oh, my gosh, thank you. I wish every parent did that. But absolutely, like if you if you have a phone, kids are cheating on phones. They're, kids are pulling absolutely. their phones out cheating on tests. They tell me all the time. You know, they they pull out their phones. They're air dropping answers. They're taking totally. photos of tests and then sending it to their friends for the next, for next period. period. It's not. It is definitely not a level playing field. Well, and and your daughter is lucky enough to have the confidence to be able to walk into that room and feel okay about it. There's other kids who don't. Yeah. Who feel like a wreck and so embarrassed that they don't have a phone, whether it's by choice or whether it's by circumstance. So. I think, you know, there's been a big argument that technology is here to stay and I'm absolutely on board with that. Sure, same here. Um, nothing you do on a phone during school will hamper your ability to use technology in a productive way. So whether, whether the schools need more funding in order to have like a computer or a laptop or an iPad during the classroom so they can do the Nearpod questions and things like that. Um, I don't think it's something that we should be relying on or planning on every parent to supply a $400 device for Amen. their child. Yeah. 
Um, so I just, yeah, we're just missing out. We're missing out on a lot of education that actually happens. And all the books you've read, I've read a lot of them too. You know, our brains are not creating the pathways they should be creating. They're not learning how to problem solve. Yeah. They're not learning patience. There's no boredom. And I'm worried for a generation of kids who will come into the workforce without any of those skills. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's, it's scary. Um, parents, uh, they, the, the excuses or the fear on the parents who are like, no way you can't take the phones out. Uh, it's usually when I say like, why, like what, what, mm-hmm. what, why does your kid need to bring their phone to school? I need to get a hold of them. When I went to the junior high, my kid, uh, my kids go to, I put up a whiteboard. I had a bunch of teachers there and the principals there and the assistant principals. I said, okay, pros and cons of bringing a phone to school. Yeah. What are the pros? And the first pro was from a, te- a teacher yelled out. They said, well, then their parents can get a hold of them. And then as soon as she said that, a bunch of other teachers said, cons, no, cons. <laughs> totally. That's the worst part. Yeah. But yeah. They said half the time when, I, when I'm like, hey, Connor with a Q, whatever, take, uh, why are you on your phone? Put your phone away. And half the time, it's their mom talking to them. Their parents text, mom, did you get your lunch? Did you get this? So that right there is already ruining your kid's ability to take care of themselves, right? So we got to cut the phones out to cut the umbilical cord, I think. I think so too. Well, and and if your child has a legitimate need, a medical need. Go to the office, right? Well, or or even if they, you know, if they have diabetes, if they have true mental health, there's always exceptions. And, you know, we don't have to make rules to the exceptions. There's an exception to the rule. And the nice thing is, is if no one else has a phone, they won't be pulling it out. Exactly. You know, like it, it really is for a time in need as opposed to just comfort or security yeah. or, you know, sometimes you should not have anything to do. And it's a beautiful thing. Kids need to learn how to be bored. And uncomfortable. And uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, they need, I mean, do you know how it needs to be awkward? It mm-hmm. needs to be uncomfortable. Yeah. You you need to have the awkward moments where you're staring at someone or you're looking, a girl looks at you and kids are being robbed of those abilities because yeah. they're just looking downward. Right. Which is not, ha- oh, makes me so sad. Yeah. Uh, the other question I have about this is, okay, so the other the parents, we sadly, we live in a really sad environment of school shootings mm-hmm. and parents, the other number two thing I hear from them, oh, you can't because what if there's a school shooter? What are your thoughts on that? If there is a school shooting uh, or a shooter comes into school, um, kids should have their phones to be able to sit in the hallway and text or call them. I mean, I, I don't want my kid, if there's a shooter, I don't want my daughter finding a place to pull out her phone and text me. That, you know, she loves me. She's okay. I want her to go get safe. Yeah. Right. You know, and that that's a hard one. I have to say like, that's one where I don't have the solution for that. Um, in a school shooting. Yeah. Maybe a phone would be important, Yeah, you know, but I guess we can't. We can't necessarily live yeah. like for one, you know, before we were talking about risk, right? Yeah. And what types of things are worth the risk? And I think risking our entire education during middle school, you know, I think it's, it's not worth the risk. Like it's not worth giving them phones. And the other opportunity too would be to allow kids to have, there's schools that allow kids to have their phones in their backpack, but they can't bring them out for the whole day. Yep. And to me, that's a really great middle ground. You don't have to leave a phone at home. Or leave can, it in a locker. Yeah. But even like you can, and sometimes people say, oh, a school could never enforce that. And I want to say, you're so wrong. Yes. I know schools that have. Yep. Well, not only have schools, but schools, like our school doesn't let kids bring a million things to the classroom that you would think they would want to bring, but it's a school rule. So you just can't. And um, my son point. was in a class that phones weren't allowed and he took a phone out and it got taken away and taken to the office. Do you think he ever took that phone out ever again? Like kids don't want to be without their phones. So let them keep them in a backpack. If they bring them out, they go to the office 
guarantee you that kid won't keep taking his phone out. Yeah. A lot of schools are starting to shift, thankfully. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the pendulum swung so far out, and now the knowledge and education and, and at yeah. schools, there's some pioneer schools that said, you know what, we're going to go no phones, and, and, the, and the data is there. There's whole countries that are doing it. There's whole provinces that are doing it. Uh, I talked to this uh, Adam Gelb, who's the, v, uh, the assistant principal at San Mateo High School, which is right in the middle of Silicon Valley, mm-hmm. biggest public uh, high school in California, and they went no phones last year. Okay. I'm going to have them on the podcast soon, and uh, they just had a baby. But he said it was the best thing we ever did. He said the teachers, they all said it was the best. And he said, I polled all the teachers after nine months and said, how do you feel about this policy? He said, we had 99.3%, almost 100 of all of them saying, this is fantastic. Let's keep it going. So I think it's going to shift back. Uh, so what, what do you say, last question, is to parents who have a group of moms and they all get together and they're like, you know what? We don't want this to happen. Uh, how, do they, how do they approach the schools about this desire to you know, change the policy at their kid's school? Um, so Coming with pitchforks, right? Pitchforks <laughs> and like throwing rocks and bricks through windows, right? So what I would say, um, emotion will get you nowhere. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, neither will like small personal examples, but data and facts will move things along when it comes to policy. Data and facts. Uh-huh. Yeah. Not and coming so, in there saying, well, his little son saw porn in the hallway from right. Billy, right? That's not going right. to do anything. But data and facts will move things along. And so what I would say, I have, like you said, I have a huge, tons of research, all the articles, and I would be happy to send them to you if you're interested in moving this along. But when you come, you need to come professionally and with a clear purpose and with a clear request and with data to back it up. And then you have to be willing to do the work with them. Yes. No one, our schools are burdened. They're busy. There are a million things that they are trying to do. And so when you present something to them and say, now fix it for me, it's not nearly as effective as if you say, here's the data. Here's what I'm concerned about. I have this group of parents. How can we help? How can we help you do this? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So if they want to find that information, uh, they can message you. They go to your website, brookromney.com. Uh, yeah, or actually or, even just DM me on um, Instagram, Brooke Romney Writes, and I'll just Brooke send you Romney the link. Um, I'll put that link uh, in the podcast description right. to you and to your website. Uh, but thank you so much for coming in here. That was so much fun. Yeah, I hope we can do some more of these and yeah. talk more about this. Now, you have a book that you're writing. Tell us about this. I do. I do. I have a book coming out hopefully at the end of the summer, and it's just um, a lot about motherhood and uh, faith and connection and things that I wish I would have known long ago that would have made my life a lot easier. So <laughs> I'm excited about that. And then um, I'm actually working on one that I interviewed you for. That's right. Yeah. And um, that will be a little bit later, but that is about uh, how we can change parenting. So I'm excited Very about cool. that too. Very cool. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming in today. Thank you for listening. Uh, if you want to reach out to Brooke, go to at Brooke Romney on Instagram or email her. Um, uh, Brooke under, Romney writes. At Brooke Romney writes because she's a writer. Awesome. Uh, I hope you learned something today. Listen to this with your spouse, uh, with your partner, with your kids. Uh, go home. Give him an eight-second hug. We'll see you next time.